0: this morning. Take just a second, turn and greet some people around you. Don't sit down. Remain standing for prayer. Right, church. Let's enter into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with thankful hearts. We come to you today as beggars who are approaching a king. God, we need so much from you, each and every one of us, Lord. If we think we're, we've arrived, if we think we're standing, if we think that we're something special, God, then that just shows how much more of you we need. God, I was reading over Ephesians chapter 3, so we're going to preach later this year, Lord, and that section where Paul talks about his prayer for that church and the surrounding churches just grabbed my heart. And as Paul prays that those who are reading his epistle, both those at that time and us as well, that we would be strengthened in our inner man or inner woman, our inner person God. We, we pray for that this morning. God, we pray that you would take us deeper with you. We pray that we would not be afraid to step out of the boat and step onto the waves with you. We pray that our eyes would not get on the storms that are raging around us. But they would, we would look straight into the face of Jesus and trust him to hold us up. God, I know there's some here who they're just so close to, and they know you, God. It's not that they don't know you, but God, they're so close to taking that step, that leap of faith, that to go to a deeper place with you. And Lord, they're afraid. God, I might be one of them. God, I pray that you would strengthen us in our inner man, that we could know your power. The power that's supposed to be in your church. God, it's amazing in the American church how much we can do without your power. We're really good at using our money. We're really good at at using our creativity. We're really good at using our knowledge, God. And we can make a great show and it looks like you're there. And God, it might be just as empty as it can be. And we pray against that sort of thing this morning, God. We want to know your power in the church. And so, God, I pray whatever's in our life is displeasing to you, please, God, point that out. Help us to confess it. Help us to move away from it. And whatever we need from you, God, help us to come to you with open hands to receive that, Lord. Help us to understand it's not us, it's you. It's your power that's needed. And God, if we're just doing this church thing just because we've always done it and it's something that culturally we do on Sunday mornings, God, forgive us for that. When we come in here, we want to lift up your name. It's the only name worthy to be lifted up. And God, when we leave here, we want to lift up your name because outside of these walls, it's still the only name worthy to be lifted up. Do something new in us, God. God. I pray that we have not become a valley of dry bones, but Lord, it's so easy for that to happen. We need a fresh wind of your spirit that we might stand on our feet. And God, you might flesh us out and you might give us strength to be a mighty army. God, we're so many times overrun by this world. Help us to stand strong and God, help us to storm the gates of hell. The gates of hell cannot prevail and they will not prevail against your church. So God, help us to be the kind of Christians that hell, when we wake up in the morning, hell gets worried because now we're awake and we're going to work for you. And we can't do that in and of ourselves. That has to be through your Holy Spirit. And so God, we want to submit our everything to your Spirit today. Speak, God. If you don't speak, there's nothing of worth going to be said here today. So we pray that you would speak and you would take us to a different place with you. We love you. We praise You. We thank You for Jesus. We go to the cross and we picture Him there. Nailed to a cross. Suspended between heaven and earth. Blood flowing down. This precious blood of Jesus that covers us. That covers our sins. That makes us righteous. That makes us fit for heaven, God. Teach us that one more time. And help us from the cross to look to the empty tomb and also to look to the day of Pentecost where the church was filled with your spirit. Do it again, God, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we ask every one of these things that we've said this morning. And Rushwood Church said together, Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, I came here to worship this morning, I came here to get something from God. I came to leave different than I came in. So if you're here just to go through the motions, I pray that God has a different plan for you today as we worship today. I pray that God has a word for you that will settle down in your spirit and will change you, will make you more like Jesus and will make you salt and light in this world. I want to start this morning by doing a little mental exercise. It's not a fun one. I'll go ahead and confess that right up front. This is not going to be a fun mental exercise, but I want you to think of someone who has done you wrong. You ever been done wrong before? I know I have. Think of somebody who's done you wrong. I want you to think about what that person did to you. What did they do to you? I want you to picture that person in your mind. See their face. Now I want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to let it out because I know your blood pressure just went up just a few notches just by me asking you to do that. We're going to come back to that later. We're going to come back to that later. It's just impossible in this life to go through this life without having people offend us, do wrong things to us, and hurt us. And it's something we all have to deal with. So I want you to hold that person in the back of your mind right now, and we're going to come back to that later. But last week we were looking at the second major part of Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul is describing what the people of God are like after Jesus saved them. It's one of my big heartaches, I think, that we see so many people who say, Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm saved. And they look just like the world. They don't have any change. They don't have any difference from the world around them. I heard a guy, Matt Walsh, I don't know if you guys ever listened to Matt Walsh, but he's actually a Catholic, Roman Catholic guy who's a conservative pundit, and he made a video that said, what's really wrong with the church? And I thought, okay, i got to watch this, because this might be interesting. And he said, now that we have about 70% of Americans, it used to be 80, but now it's down to about 70% of Americans who say that they're Christians, who wear the name of Jesus Christ. And so we have about 30%, who don't claim to be Christians, and he said a very interesting thing. And I, I, I'm thinking about this, but I think he's probably right on this. He said the problem in America and the problem in the church is not in the 30 percent; it's in the 70. It's not in those who are outside the church; it's those who are claimed to be inside the church that were lukewarm, that were watered down, that were not really sold out to Jesus the way that we should be. And anyway, going back here to what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, he's basically saying, look, there's a way that if you're a Christian, there's a way you ought to look. There's a way you ought to act. There's a way you ought to think. And it's actually different than the world. I see Christians, it's like we, want, we are so thrilled about anything that we do that seems a little bit like the world. If it seems like what the world is putting out there, oh, that was great. And if it's really spiritual and really deep, so many times we see people say, oh, I just wasn't into that. That's, that's dangerous, that's scary, because there should be a difference in us and the world around us. Back in the day of Paul, right before the day of Jesus, basically, there were two major groups in the world. And from a Jewish standpoint, even in the day of Paul, there were two major groups. There were the Jews, who were also called Israel, and there were the Gentiles, who were often referred to in the Bible as the nations. So the Jews and the nations, we talked a little bit about this last week. And I told you, the Jews were God's chosen people. God chose to work through them. They were a vessel to bring the Messiah into this world so that the Savior of the world could come into this world. God chose the people of Abraham to do that. They were in and we were out. Talking about the family of God, talking about eternal life. They were on the inside, we were on the outside looking in because they were the chosen people. But then Paul says, through the blood of Jesus on the cross, now they're in and we're in too. See, we should have said amen right there. Because that's the reason. Maybe, let me repeat that again. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Jewish people are in and we're in too. Yeah, we have opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. We have opportunity to come to God through what Jesus did on the cross. So the early days of the church have started, has started and it's a blended people if you want to. These two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, are both worshipping together. The first Christians in the world were Jewish people. They were ethnically Jewish and they had come to believe in Jesus Christ. But as they ministered to people in the Roman Empire within that context, all of a sudden you start to see people of other languages and other tribes and other backgrounds and other ethnicities coming in to worship with the Jewish people. And so the church was a blended group, Jewish and non-Jewish. In fact, the book of Romans, I had a professor one time who said said the chief purpose of the book of Romans was to combat racism in the church between Jews and non-Jews. And if you look at it, he had a really good point because that's a lot of what it's talking about there in the book of Romans. So you got the early church. They're Jewish and they're non Jewish, they're Gentile and they're from Israel. And although they're come together under the blood of Jesus Christ, there was still a history there. Uh, Do you ever have you ever had anybody in your life, you know, that you kind of get along with them and you just walk along with them and you walk beside of them. Maybe you're in a context where you have to see them pretty often and you don't really fuss with this person. But because of your past, there's still a history there. You still ain't really like them. You still don't really like them. You still really don't enjoy being around them. I mean, you you get along with them, but there's still a history. I mean, history doesn't just go away overnight, does it? Things that have happened in the past, it's not like you snap their, your fingers and they're gone and it's all cleared up. And there was a lot of hate between the Jews and the nations, the Gentiles that were around them. If you study history, the nations, the Gentiles did a whole lot of evil to the Jews. I mean, you think back to the Egyptians, and there were Egyptian Christians that came into the early church. Christians, Africa was brought in very early to be part of the church. In fact, Ethiopia has one of the oldest Christian congregations in the entire world. We're told how that happened in the book of Acts. But the Egyptians, being on the African continent, they had enslaved, they had actually enslaved the Jews for somewhere around 400 years and so they were slave drivers over the Jews and they were, they were cruel to them and they actually t- did population control against the Jewish people and would take the baby boys that were born to the Jewish people and throw them in the Nile where they would be devoured by hippos and you think hippos are like nice creatures. No, they're terrible. They're, they're, they're vicious things. Hippos and Nile crocodiles and everything else. They're little babies. They're precious children. They actually took them and threw them into the Nile River so that they would be killed. That's some history to get over, Right? That wouldn't be something you snap your fingers and you get over that overnight. Then there was a group called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites actually, as the Jewish people moved along during the Exodus period, they would go and they would sneak in behind the Jewish people as they were moving. This huge group of hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And they would slip in and they would attack the old. And they would attack the young. And they would attack the sick and they would come in almost like a snake coming in from the back and they would kill those part that part of the Jewish people and attack that way very evil in fact they became a cursed people because of that that's something you wouldn't just forgive overnight would you somebody coming in and killing killing your elderly people and I mean I just think God has a special spot of despising in his heart against those who pick on old people and young people Those who pick on older people and children. I think God hates that stuff. And that's all that the Amalekites were about was picking on people like that, killing people like that among the Jewish people. The Philistines, you remember the Philistines that invaded from... Actually, they were a seagoing people. And Israel was there. When Israel got settled, it's right there on the sea. And so these people came in and established uh, places of population. And they would come in and they would fight against the Jewish people. By the way, a lot of people don't know this. The word Palestine or Palestinian is actually a form of the word Philistine. And so you know this whole uh, conflict that's going on right now between the Jewish people and the Palestinian people? It traces all the way back to then. It traces all the way back to the days uh, of the Philistines, if you will, at least in name. And then there were some cousins of the Jews that lived right next to them. The Moabites, the Edomites, and the Ammonites. And there were feuds between them all the time. And, and other powers would come in and they wouldn't help the Jewish people. And so it was kind of like a family rivalry going on. And then the Assyrians that came down. And the Assyrians actually destroyed the northern ten tribes and dispersed the northern ten tribes of uh, the Jewish people. And so there were twelve tribes. And then all of a sudden there's basically two that are left because of the Assyrians. Assyrians. And then the Babylonians came in and they captured the Jewish people and they exiled them into Babylon and they exiled the remaining two tribes. And so there's just all this history of of fighting and there's all this history of war and there's all this history of murder and death and all this with all these Gentile groups. And now the Gentiles have been brought into the church. The Gentiles have come into the church with the Jewish people and Paul's saying, guess what, you're a family now. All this baggage has to be worked through. It didn't just disappear overnight. Paul comes along and says, Jesus has taken the Jews and he's taken the Gentiles and he has made one family out of two factions by his blood. Let's read the scripture that goes along with that. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. God's Word, and I'm reading the NIV here because I really like the way it puts this. their hostility. So in other words, Paul is saying at the cross, the hostility between the Jewish people and the Gentile people, at least in the church, has to come to an end. At least in the church, now you have to be brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter what the past was, no matter what had happened back then, and there were some really wrong things done, maybe sometimes on both sides, Paul's like, it's time for those things to be set aside in Jesus Christ, so that good things may happen in this new family that has been created called the church. So what Paul was saying here, let me give you three things real quick that Paul says Jesus did by his death on the cross for this new family called the church. The first thing Jesus did was he brought peace. He brought peace. Now oftentimes we think those people, I don't know, I think when we think of people who bring peace, we think about people who... Uh, You know, they're just really easy going and they're really mild. And, you know, maybe you think about Gandhi sitting around not eating and stuff. You know, I mean, that may be your your idea of someone who brings peace. But the Bible never says blessed are those who make peace or, uh, or produce peace. The Bible says blessed are those who make peace. And sometimes to make peace, there has to be a real strength there. Jesus made peace by being strong, by going to the cross, by by laying his life down as a real man's man on the cross. Let me give you an example of that. I don't know how many kids you have, but we have four that's a lot of kids to be their ages and so close together. And, and we have kind of a small vehicle for four kids to be in. We know eventually we're going to have to upsize because we're using the third row. And one of them has to crawl over. Uh, Aiden is Aiden is 11 years old. He's too big to crawl to the back row. So it has to be one of the younger kids who crawls to the back row. And the baby's in a car seat, so she can't crawl to the back row. So it's always my my younger son and my oldest daughter. They have to fuss over who's going to sit in the front row and who's going to sit in the back row. And that's just the start of the conflict when we drive somewhere. Then as we drive along, so they fuss through who's going to sit in the back row, and there's that kind of argument, and finally I have to say, you get back there. They did it last time, you get back there, and that settles the argument. But then as we're driving along, somebody does that crazy thing that kids do, they touch the other one. He's touching me. He's bothering me. He put his foot in my face. Oh, he put his rear end in my face. Oh, dad, you know, and all of a sudden there's this whole thing and then they start shoving each other and then they start hit. L- unless you think a pastor's family is nice and quiet and angelic, you just need to ride with us sometime. You'll have a whole different view on it. But they're fussing back there and they're going on and I'll be like, all right, stop. You know, y'all don't touch it. You know, the crazy thing we always say, nobody touch anybody ever like that's going to happen. Right. And so then they calm down and then something else comes on. And then and then if we're especially on a long road trip, we'll grab some drinks or snacks or whatever. And then, ah, they spilled their drink on me. And it's just, it's crazy. And so there, there finally comes to the point where dad has to make peace. And you know how what you say to make peace, don't you? Y'all don't make me stop this car. Because if you make me pull this car over, it ain't going to end well for any of y'all. And so you finally, that's the nuclear option as you're on a family road trip is to finally say, don't make me stop this car. I'm coming back there and I got a belt on and now you don't want none of that, you know, and all that sort of thing. And so finally, after dad just drops the nuclear option, there's peace for a little while. Well, when Jesus came and on the cross, that was the nuclear option for mankind. But he didn't just make peace for a little while, not until the next road trip or the next time the Jews and the Gentiles got together. Jesus came to bring peace forever. Peace everlasting. And peace should reign in the church of Jesus Christ. Out in this world, there's not going to be peace. And Jesus told us that. But in the church, there should be peace. That's why it it drives me so crazy when people get caught up on certain things and they don't get their way and they're selfish. And so they complain, I'm not getting this or I'm not getting that. Or "Why why are you favoring this group? You know, all this stuff and it leads to division. No, we should have peace within the church. We should be an example to other people outside of the church of the peace that Jesus Christ can bring. In fact, not only should we have peace in individual churches, we should have peace in between churches. We should be peaceful with the congregation down the road. We should work together. Nathan Kaiser, who used to be an assistant pastor here, and he was here with us on Good Friday, wrote a great article in the newspaper, if you saw that, about the peace that should be between churches. How we should get along. How we should be unified. How we should be made one. Like what we sang earlier this morning. And we should be. Jesus came to bring peace, and we ought to model peace and be people of peace. The second thing it says that He did... Jesus set aside the law with its commands and regulations. Now, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. But the law it has been set aside as the channel with which we're saved. We're not saved by keeping the Old Testament law. They couldn't be saved by keeping the Old Testament law. We can't be saved by keeping the Old Testament law. Jesus did that for us. Jesus kept the Old Testament law for us. He did it perfectly. There's no way that we can do it. We're saved by grace and by putting our faith into Him. And so now the Jew has no advantage over the Gentile in that. Both of us, both groups can come and we can, through faith, by God's grace, be saved because those laws have been set aside as the way of salvation. And then it says here, summarizing what Paul says, that Jesus created a new humanity. No longer divided into Jew and Gentile, we are one. I told you last week, there, there, there used to be two groups, basically two groups in this world, the Jew and the Gentile. Now there are two main groups in this world, those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. And those who know Jesus are supposed to love those who don't know Jesus and do everything in our power to get them to know Jesus. But now that's the new division in humanity. But within the church, we are one. Within the church, we are not divided. Within the church, we are family by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm trying to preach in our context. In our context here in Ashborough, North Carolina, I don't think there's a whole lot. We don't have a large Jewish population I've known some Jewish folks in my life, you know, and, and, but there's not a huge Jewish population here. And I'm not sure that we really have, outside of maybe a random Klansman or something like that, people who really hate the Jews in this area of the country. Uh, in my life, I can probably count maybe on one hand the times I've heard people say something bad about the Jewish people. But we do have several different ethnic groups that are part of our community. And we have several different ethnic groups that are part of our church at this point in time. And there's a lot of history there, isn't there? When we start talking about white versus black, or black versus Hispanic, or white versus Hispanic, when we start to put it in in those terms, there's a lot of history there that doesn't just go away the second we come to the cross. There's things that we have to work through. But praise God, the family of God is not based on being blood kin, it's based on being blood washed. Let me say that again because that was better than you thought it was. The family of God is not based on being blood kin. It's based on being blood washed. I am more family to my brothers and sisters who might have a different skin tone than me or maybe even be from a different continent than me than I am a lost person who might be my cousin. Who might by blood actually be related to me. Because it's based on being blood washed through Jesus Christ. That's what makes us family. And so let's just be real. We do have people of different ethnic backgrounds within this church. And I praise God for that. That's a sign of a healthy church is you have people from different ethnic backgrounds who are willing to come and be part of it. And no, we don't spend every Sunday talking about that. And we don't try to divide ourselves up and say, well, this person's from this nation originally, and this person spoke this language originally. And we don't get into all that. We don't spend our time talking about that. We spend more of our time loving on each other. Which I think is the best way to handle things. To love each other and let the love of Christ be shed abroad in our hearts. But I, came, I wanted to say this to you this morning. If Jesus can break down the wall between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. With all that baggage and all that background. Jesus can break down the walls between other groups as well. And so if you have a wall built up in your heart against another group of people. No matter what that group of people is. And, and, you know, I hear people say sometimes that only white folks can be racist because there's only we are the only ones that have the power. And so only white folks can be racist. I just don't agree with that. I think sin is sin and everybody can be into sin and everybody can be into any particular sin. And so it can be a problem for all of us. But if we have a wall in our heart against other people, I pray that Jesus breaks that down because that's what he wants to do. And if we have a wall in our heart against other individuals, maybe it's not a group, maybe it's a particular person wronged you. I want you to bring back that person you thought of at the beginning of service who brought your blood pressure up, that did you wrong, and man, maybe they never apologized. It's way easier to forgive if they'll apologize, isn't it? It's way easier to forgive if they'll come and say, you know what, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that to you, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But man, i got some people in my life, they did me wrong, And they thought they were right in doing it. And I'm not ever going to get an apology from those people. In fact, if we were to talk about it, they were to probably say, you know what, you got what you deserved. But you know what, I still have to forgive them. I still have to let that wall between me and them be brought down by the blood of Jesus Christ. Especially if they're a Christian. Especially if they know Jesus because we're witnessing to everybody else how the church acts when we don't always agree on things. I want to show you a video, man. I just, I love this I don't even want to set it up too much because it might take some of the power out of it. But I just want to show you a video about two individuals who had a big wall between them and how Jesus brought it down. So join with me this morning. Let's watch this. Tune into this because I really think it's going to touch you and really be meaningful to you.
1: We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in '05. Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of, and arrested him for, dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor Police Officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Yeah, basically, the start of that day, I was gonna make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs, and stealing. Of course, Jamel was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took.
0: That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today,
1: they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, You know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith, and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this We'll send it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight.
0: I actually got to see those two guys back in 2016 at a convention. Uh, They were two of the guest speakers there. And there's some things they didn't tell you in that report. Uh, One of the things was that Jamel was actually on the way to see his newborn son when he was arrested. Can you imagine? You're going to see your newborn son. You're on the way to the hospital. You get stopped. A cop frames you for something you didn't do, and you end up spending four years in prison for something you didn't do. The other thing that they didn't tell you was that both of these guys found forgiveness and redemption through Jesus Christ. They hinted at it a little bit. But Jamel actually talked about how he sat in prison, and every day he planned, of how, when he got out, how he was basically going to take Andrew out. How he was going to get back at him, he was going to get his revenge, But then in prison, he went to a prison worship service, gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and Jesus took that anger and that bitterness and that hate out of his heart. And so now both of these guys, and they're actually part of the Wesleyan Church, both of these guys, um, they are now going around and they're ministering to other people, and they are literally best friends now, even after what Jamel had to go through because of this evil that was done to him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the person who wronged me, and did the worst thing to me, uh, that, that maybe I have to forgive them for. It's nothing compared to that. What was done to me, I didn't lose four years of my life. I wasn't on the way to see one of my kids right after they were born. I didn't use, lose four years of my life to prison because of something I didn't do. I had nothing like that that I've had to forgive. But you know, I bet maybe somewhere out here among this congregation this morning, maybe there is somebody that has something that was even worse than that done to them. It's possible. It's definitely possible. But you have had nothing worse done to you than than what was done to Jesus Christ by this world. Nothing. Nothing. He was sinless. He was perfect. He never wronged anybody. He always did what was right. He always obeyed God the Father. He perfectly lived... And yet they took him and they nailed him to a tree. They spat upon him. They mocked him. They shamed him. Uh, They did all this to him. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And yet the people who did that to him, he was actually dying for them. Would you die for the person that you thought of right at the first of the service? Would you lay your life down for that person who did you so wrong and hurt you so much? Would you actually give your life for them? I'm not saying you have to. I'm saying Jesus would. And I'm saying that Jesus did. And so the Bible tells us a couple of things. One of the things it tells us is that we are given as Christians the ministry of reconciliation. What that means is as Christians, we are actually given the ministry of bringing people back together. Of setting right what was wrong. Of bringing forgiveness into a situation where there seems like there's nothing but bitterness and hate. We're actually given that ministry. In Ephesians 4.32, God's Word says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If you think you can't forgive somebody, and I, look, I get it. I know the struggle. There's, like I said, there's people who have wronged me who will never apologize, and they think they did right, and they think I deserved what came to me. I still have to forgive them. And the only way I know to forgive them is to look at what Christ did for me. To look at what Jesus Christ did for me and say, you know what? I did not deserve that forgiveness. I did not deserve his love. I thought that was amazing in that video that Jameel actually told Andrew, man, I love you. I love you. And they thought, you know, not in the weird worldly sense, in the Christian sense. And I, I love you. You're my brother in Jesus Christ. To love our enemies. Jesus asked us to do that. And you say, Brent, that's just not natural. Or, You're right. It's not natural. It's supernatural. You can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can only do that looking to Jesus' example. And so I what I want to challenge you with here at the end of service this morning is, if you've got somebody that you need to forgive, if you've got somebody in your life, there's a wall between you and them. Build up for whatever reason. Maybe it wasn't your fault. Maybe it wasn't any of your doing. But you've built a wall up between yourself and that other person because of whatever. Whatever you need to do to bring that wall down, you need to do it. Whatever you need to do, however you need to forgive, you need to go talk to them. Maybe that's an option and say, you know what? I I feel like there's this separation between us because of what happened and I want to get past that. Or maybe if if you need to just talk with God and get along with God and, and, and just seek his face on seeing that person in a new way. I've always said one of the best ways to forgive somebody is to start to pray for them. If you'll pray for somebody every day, I don't care what they did to you, if you'll start to pray for somebody and you won't mean it at first, I promise you. At first, you'll be like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm praying for that person, God, whatever, you know, and you'll just, you, but if you'll do it every day and if you'll continue to walk through that process of actually wanting God's best for them, and maybe they don't know God, and maybe you're praying that they'll come to know Him, or maybe they're a Christian and they're just a real sorry one and you're praying that they'll become a better christian and they'll get to know him but i don't i don't know what it has to look like but if you'll pray for that person that wronged you all of a sudden you'll start to feel some of that bitterness, bitterness relieve you'll start to feel feel some of some of that hatred maybe that you've even let settle into your heart relieve and eventually god can bring you to the place where you even love that person you don't have to like them you don't have to be your best friend don't have to walk with them day by day and, and, and pretend like everything was always good. You just simply let God do His work within your heart to forgive that person. Again, Ephesians 4:32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. And ultimately, forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for yourself. That other person is going on with their life. You can hate them. You can be bitter against them. And they're just sailing along and they don't even think about it. And you're holding on to it so tightly. One of my favorite uh, pictures of that, of what forgiveness looks like, is I read one time that somebody said, unforgiveness is like a noose that has two ends. And one end is around their throat and one end is around your throat. And forgiveness is simply taking off that noose off of your head and just handing it to God and saying, look, God, they're in your hands. I want you to be good to them, God. I want you to bless them. I can't carry this around anymore. God, I've got to give it to you. And that actually frees you and allows you to be who you are again, just as we saw in that example on that video. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning, and I'm I'm not going to make you jump through hoops or anything like that today. You know, before we've done forgiveness talks where I've had you come up and shred the name of the person that you're, we're not doing that this morning. But I just wonder if we can all be honest. And in being honest, that means we're not doing the every head bowed and every eye closed thing right now. We'll do that sometimes, but we're not doing it right now. And when I raise my hand, it's not like me just giving you a a sign. This is actually me saying, yeah, I'm part of this too. Is there somebody right now, by raising your hand this morning, you're saying there's somebody right now that I'm struggling to forgive. I'm struggling to tear that wall down between me and them so that we can have a reconciled relationship. Maybe it's a group, maybe it's a person, I don't know. But I'm struggling with people out there because I'm not loving them like Jesus. And I'm not forgiving them like Jesus. And I'm not treating them like Jesus would. By raising your hand this morning, you're saying, you know what? Whatever it takes, I want that wall to come down. Whatever it takes, I want there to be a new freedom in my life. Whatever they do, I can't control what they do, but in my life, I want there to be a freedom. I don't want to be bitter against them anymore. I don't want to have hatred against them anymore. I want the wall to come down so that freedom will reign. And I'll look more like Jesus than I do right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and just be honest enough to admit that? And I'm raising my hand too, man. I I got people I'm struggling with right now. Got people I struggle with when I see them. I don't like them. But I'm asking God to help me love them. Thank you for being honest. Let's pray together this morning. God, whatever needs to happen. And you're God, and I can't tell you how to do stuff. But God, whatever needs to happen to help us have the wall torn down between us and other people. God, I pray that would happen. Whether it's between us and a group of people or whether it's between us and a single person or a family or whatever it is, God. I pray you would help that wall come down. If it has to be brick by brick, Lord, do it that way. And if it all falls at once, God, do it that way. But Lord, we want to be like Jesus. We want to have the ministry of reconciliation. We want to be to the part where we saw like these two Christian brothers on this video who one gravely wronged the other, but he forgave him. And now they're good friends, best friends. And now they love each other, God. That's only possible through you. And so, Father, I pray for this congregation, Lord, if we have any bitterness in our hearts, any unforgiving spirit, God, you would remove that from us, that the walls would come down and that there would truly be unity. Lord, let unity reign in this church. Let unity reign in your church. Let us all truly become one. Father, just as you and the Son are one, and just as you and the Spirit are one, God, let us truly become one where we might look more like you, act more like you, think more like you, live more like you, God. Help us to forgive. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your presence here today. And we know the enemy comes here every Sunday morning to try to steal the word and he tries to steal our joy and Lord we declare right now that we're going to his camp and we're bringing back what he's stolen from us and we're going to live in joy and we're going to live in forgiveness and we're going to live in the light thank you for Jesus thank you for the forgiveness that's possible through him in our lives it's in his name we pray and Rushwood said together amen As you leave this morning, remember our giving boxes are at the back. Your tithes and offerings keep the doors open so that we can reach more people with the good news about Jesus Christ. Look, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night.